Hello, and welcome to the Storymakers Institute. Conversations, analysis, and dispatches from the front lines of storymaking. If you haven't yet signed up to the Storymakers Institute, then you're only getting half of the story. Receive podcast episodes, written analysis, and exclusive dispatches on storymaking straight to your inbox, but only on Substack. For all the details, head to the storymakersinstitute.substack.com. Sarah Wilson is a former journalist, a multi-New York Times best-selling author, activist, and podcaster. She started the I Quit Sugar movement, hosted MasterChef Australia, was the editor-in-chief at Cosmopolitan, and lived on the road for eight years with only one bag of belongings and an orange single-speed bike. Whilst writing, first we make the beast beautiful, and this one wild and precious life. She's also on Substack too, at sarahwilson.substack.com. In this episode of the Storymakers Institute, Sarah and I gaze into a crystal ball and mull over the impact of the world's stories and how we navigate a way forward into tomorrow. This is the Storymakers Institute with Joel Carnegie. Um, well, I think story is the is still a vehicle. And it's about finding better stories in the end, stories that actually, and I I say this quite often, stories that actually present the new way of doing things as more fun, more charming, sexier than the status quo, than the the old story. Um, And so... I think I think that's the trick, right? Like, um, and it's also often, and I think this is where we're at today in today's kind of climate, is we've actually got to use different language and different storytelling techniques. The language at the moment is so didactic and it's gone into an increasingly polarised, fractured realm. Uh, if not A, then it must be B. And we've lost the ability to talk in nuances and greys and all of that kind of thing and to allow even colour spectrums beyond something between black and white, if you know what I mean. Um, so it's, it's you know, in, in a lot of circles they're calling that the metacrisis. The metacrisis is the crisis that sits at the heart of or behind, you know, the AI threat, the nuclear threat, climate change, um, you know, sort of bioengineered pandemics and so on. Behind that is a mindset and an approach and a storytelling technique um, that is highly problematic. And the way, the best way to describe it, and this is what I often say, Joel, is um, it's like we've been two-year-olds that go to our bedroom and make a big mess, right? We can tear everything apart. We can play with things and investigate, but then we've got no capacity for putting it back together again. That's kind of the metacrisis. The metacrisis also exists as a problem, you know, in that it causes it, but then, of course, it's also stopping us from solving it because we're stuck in the old way. We're stuck in the techniques, the storytelling approaches that got us into trouble in the first place, you know. And I think Einstein somewhat inaccurately um, has been credited with the the line, you know, um, the definition of madness is trying to solve a problem with the same mentality or mindset that caused it in the first place. And that's exactly where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Do you think it's partly as a result of this mindset that as a story maker, storyteller, our jobs are to put the story out there and, you know, whatever happens as a result is kind of not up to us? You know, like, is it about also kind of taking responsibility for the impact of what you're actually uh, putting forward as well? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of um, 
all care and no responsibility going on. Is I think that's what you're referring to. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people uh, figuring that they've got a right to a voice um, and they've got a forum. We've all got forums now. You know, we're all storytellers and, and, and so we should be. Everybody's got a story and we've all got a contribution um, to make. But um, th- those that have got um, the ability to put out story widely and have impact haven't had the training or the guidance to show them how to do it in a responsible way. So, you know, people who used to be able to broadcast and be of influence, they generally had journalistic training or they came up through some sort of ranking, you know, like they had to earn their stripes and along the way you had mentors and you had people above you and you got smacked around if you didn't play by certain protocols. And those protocols aren't just there as levers from the conservative, um, you know, behemoths, they're often there to keep us on the straight and narrow. I know David Brooks, an incredible writer, he's a New York Times writer, but he writes a lot on philosophy and he sort of talks about the fact that we actually need boundaries. Humans need boundaries, particularly moral boundaries. Um, And religion used to provide that and community groups and protocols and mores. because it actually takes a lot of the, the psychic load off our shoulders, if you know what I mean. I mean, we've got to put a roof over our head, we've got to feed our children, we've got to get on with things, and we've got to sort of almost have the philosophical agility and knowledge of Nietzsche to actually navigate all these new sort of ways of doing things. And that, that's a big reason why we're struggling, because all of us are having to spend so much time navigating the new rules of the storyline, um, the ethical and moral kind of quandaries. And if you look at the trans debate, right, we're going around in circles. And it's an important debate to have. But we we just don't have the guardrails, the moral guardrails to guide us to make these moral decisions in ways um, that are kind, progressive and efficient, you know. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of the problem is that, you know, our moral boundaries have been removed. Mm. And so how do you construct those moral boundaries? There is a a focus at the moment in a way to sort of, quote unquote, stay in your lane, you know, do story from your lived experience and that is kind Mm. of the that is the path that you shall take. And yet that almost kind of limits the imagination or the possibilities of the imagination as a result. What would you say to that? Look, the way I see it, I think that the the pendulum in many ways in equity and, and representation swung too far in one direction. And we're now going through something of a correction, you know, it's, and it, and it swung too far. And um, it, it's not a debate that we have in Australia often enough, but in the US I'm picking up on the fact that, you know, the ultra-woke kind of dialogue is starting to soften. It's starting to back off. I've heard even commentators going, have we, have we, have we reached the pinnacle of woke yet? I think we have. But look, what it did do is it raised a bunch of things. It got some terminology out there that probably assisted us to navigate the complexities that are ahead, we're only going to have more complexity like this. There's more people on the planet. There are more, um, and we're more interconnected, right? Like 
it's a truly global world and we're all freaking in this melting pot squabbling and it's going to take a while to to figure out the new ground rules and part of it is these new debates. Um, It's a real shame though, isn't it, that we've lost the ability to be kind and to be decent in these debates. Like we literally go to the lowest common denominator and we pick, we basically abuse... Yep, and abuse cognitive biases and we take advantage of um, sort of weak moments in a person's argument when we we, can, we know what point they're making but we obfuscate that. It's, um, it's a shame. And, look, it, there's so many forces at play that take us um, away from our inherent kindness. Mm. And um, the really, you know, this is what I often say, Joel, is, you know, the real skill set today, there's a bunch of skill sets, but one of them is how to argue well. One is to get rid of distractions, like that is going to be the superpower going forward. Another is to... Um, get really, really cool with being uncomfortable, like just knowing how to navigate uncertainty and ups and downs and 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 so on. And, um, you know, and I think those those are the... Oh, and the final one is is how to speak to AI. <laughs> like well, that's going to be... I mean, that's, that's a whole a skill. new thing, right? <laughs> mm, how, how, to, how, to, um, how to be able to um, issue instructions to AI is going to be... Um, you know, the, what's going to distinguish us going forward. Here's the thing, Sarah, on that. Um, you know, there's there's kind of this very hopeful part of me that uh, that AI can deal with all of the sort of the, the mundane techno blah, blah that we inv- ended up spending our now time in. Uh, you know, we're effectively now just sort of new versions of the Industrial Revolution conveyor belt just through literally email and that AI somehow will kind of solve that so we can all come back to basics of our kind of humanity and we can all kind of run chooks and you know veggie garden and just sort of do the works and have some land We said that we said that about the washing machine and the vacuum cleaner, right? Like it was going to free us up. It just gets us into more and more trouble. That's it. That's it. I mean, look how much time we spend on phones. Like so much of it is navigating all the the guff, you know. Um, So yeah, it's it's we don't tend to do that. So I don't. In some ways, it's a relief because we don't have to sit around waiting for the great moment when we get freed, right? And we get, and and everything's going to be make sense. Like we've got to do it now in this mess, right? In this moment. in this moment, there's, it's already a mess. We've already got too many competing things and distractions and, and um, you know, this is meant to be good, you know. Steven Pinker and all of the, uh, the positive types that tell us that, you know, the world is so much better than it used to be yet somehow not being able to account for the diseases of despair, the fact that life expectancy in the US is literally dropping. I think it's been six or seven years in a row now because of diseases of despair, you know, opioid use, alcohol and suicide, and particularly amongst young men who traditionally have been the exemplars of a successful, happy society, like check out white men. They're doing pretty well. Well, that's not the case anymore. Mm. You know, and so and they're the ones being pushed um, to extremes too. Well, I think what it is for, for for white men, for white straight men, is that they're experiencing the greatest shake up right now, 
right, in all of this because when you've stood on a pedestal and you haven't had to look down <laughs> too much, you, it, it's kind of a rude shock, right, when you've got to um, join the rest of us in navigating sort of complexity and, and things like that and new roles and and um, and being marginalised mm. for whatever reason. So, but I have Welcome sympathy. to the club, you know. It's yes, that's like... it. That's it. That's it. There's a little bit of, oh, well. Hey, um, join us down here. Um, but Great equally, party. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There's there's really legitimate stuff going on, you know. And in part, you know, young men in Australia are in a lot of trouble. You know, the Man Cave, an organisation, I think it's based in Victoria. They did some um, some research and found that one in three young men think Andrew Tate's a legend. They reckon he's he's awesome and that he's got really good ideas um, because. In the absence of leadership, once again, in the absence of people who can tell us how to do this thing good called moral story. Coil, mm-hmm, exactly, then they turn to anyone. And it's the same with Trump. Trump represents the same kind of sturdiness that we're all craving, you know? Yeah. Like, um, it's funny in the wrong if, place. That's it. That's exactly it. Mm. And so there's a real chasm for good people, good storytellers, right? And I shouldn't say chasm, there's a real opening, an opportunity to step in there and the trick is to be certain. Now, we've come out of this postmodernist era where there are no absolutes, right, and that's where wokeism emerged and all of this kind of thing. Well, it depends and everybody's got a voice and we should hear, you know, um, everybody's equal. There are no, um, you know, and so we've we've come out of that um, and, uh what it's meant is that, yes, everything's a little bit floppy and flabby. You know, the leadership, um, you know, there's no sturdy leadership. There's nothing sturdy, you know. Now, modernism, of course, provided us with too much sturdiness. It was too many absolutes, you know. It was black or white. Um, and so I think the next era is navigating between modernism and postmodernism and cherry-picking the bits that are going to actually serve us going forward. Mm. And I suppose it with the lack thereof of some of those current um, um, sort of like, you know, when you're bowling and you've got those sort of bumper bars, <laughs> things that are on yeah, the side, the rails. the rails. Yeah. Those rails. It's kind of like that, I, that idea of like, if those things don't exist, then we're sort of spending a lot of time in the gutter at the moment. <laughs> and so That's it's, it. so it's like, how do we, how do we find new rails for us to kind of like hold on to yeah. and where to, like what are those things about and who drives those things and then how to story influence those those new mm. um, kind of ways of being? The way I parallel it or the metaphor I use is, a, is, you know, if you have a footy game, right, and you go, there are no rules. No, no white man in a white outfit can come and blow the whistle and tell us what to do. The, the game suddenly becomes very unfun, right? Mm. Like, that's it's called America what, 2023. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so this is what we've been duped into is, is into thinking, all right, well, at one point there were too many rules. All right, let's get rid of all the rules. No. Um, the, a football game with no umpires, no rules, no boundaries is very boring mm. um, and, and dangerous <laughs> on top of that. Um, so... You know, I think, yes, and story has always, has always, storytellers have always put up those guardrails and boundaries and mm. and sort of almost um, 
operated as the umpire, you know, and and that's why you know it's it's I've got to say following you know, and 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 it is people who are willing to put themselves out there. You know, I just recently interviewed Tim Winton, and um, you know he's a writer, he's a storyteller who is seeing that there's a need for people like him who've got a platform to speak out. So he's done a lot of work on Ningaloo Reef protesting um, and getting it World Heritage listed for 20 years, and he's still fighting that. He also came out and talked about toxic masculinity a number of years ago, which in I think really hit home and did a series of talks around Australia. This is a guy that doesn't come out from his like little, I don't know, surf shack, wherever it is on the Western Australian coast, very often. He only does it for this kind of thing. Margaret Atwood um, is the same thing, and J.K. Rowling, of course, copped it pretty badly. Um, when she came out and spoke uh, about sort of, you know, the trans situation, how it relates to straight women and the feminist cause. Um, And, yeah, we do need to have these storytellers, like established ones, being brave enough to start to shift those boundaries in new ways that can get us discussing things now what we saw with J.K. Rowling was was absolutely tragic and it was very unnuanced. It was, um, yeah, it was ridiculous in my opinion and I've mm. been following it reasonably closely. Um, so it, with no appreciation of the fact that people in the public eye who are storytellers, who go out on a limb, um, this is what they do. This is what they've done throughout history. Now you can disagree but you don't do the pile on. You mm. have a debate, you know. Mm. Mm. I've been thinking also lately about the role of media and social media. And whilst I find the conversation around, you know, social media to be terribly dull and, and as an individual, I'm kind of moving away from it as a general principle. Um, it, 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 it seems to me at least that there's these kind of cultural gatekeepers, whether there are platforms or whether they're, you know, um, editors within news organizations that, um, that, uh, in order to get a sort of story up, in order to get eyeballs, in order to sort of create this sort of viral sensation of, of a story and, 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 a, and a movement around it, that, that it needs to be more and more extreme. It can't just be pedestrian or everyday in order to have a story on a major international network, of which I've had many, many stories. And yet it's always been, you know, how can this be more extreme, more interesting, more mm. and more and more until so to the point when as 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 um, a broadcaster, as a journalist, as a feature maker, doco maker, you end up kind of then looking for the most extreme uh, types of stories in order to actually get a job, like get some money mm. in. Um, and so if we're all doing this, then the stories that we're broadcasting as a general principle are uh, of the more extreme inflammatory nature because that is theoretically um, what is being required of one in order to make a living in this space, whether you're on staff or otherwise. Now we've just kind of put that on steroids. Hello, TikTok, where it's not even so much about the the story or the thing that you're creating, it's just how can you kind of create it in an instant and boom, it's gone. Uh, and so there's nothing that you kind of can say meaningfully within within that paradigm either. Um, what's your take on those, on that kind of position? Mm. Oh, yeah, I'm exhausted by it. I mean, on the one hand, TikTok seems to be something where, yes, 
it, it, it's there, then it's gone. It seems very disposable. It's it's very ADHD. It's you know <laughs> distraction on you know it's on steroids, as you say. But then within that, in the microcosm of it or the macrocosm of it, trends do emerge. Things do emerge. Like stuff does happen there. Like we've seen all kinds of news stories get up. Um, Artists who would not normally get a platform start to go viral. So even though each individual TikTok video seems innocuous and uh, and distracted and and fragmented, um, for the individual watching, that's it. It it does start to you know these trends start to emerge, and so in some ways it's quite organic, and I find it very very interesting. Um, you know to sort of observe what happens there. I sort of venture onto TikTok every now and then and leave again because I'm exhausted by the idea of the vanity, um, (laughs) you know, the performance, all of that kind of thing. It's amazing what passes off as content. (laughs) I know, I know. But, yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, It is, you know, I mean it's... It's it's like we're frittering away. It's it's so strange, isn't it? It's it's like we are so um, deterred and scared of the big issues that we go to once again the lowest common denominator. I sometimes do feel like we're regressing, and social media seems to be the forum for that because our worst. Like I think over many many years. I think we became slightly more morally and spiritually sophisticated in our ability. You know, we didn't go and club each other over the heads or, you know, um, drag a woman back to the cave. We don't do that anymore. We're a little bit more sophisticated. But we seem to have regressed to some of the most Neanderthal behaviours on social media. And it's because, and I often say this, if, if I was to sort of sum up the ills of the world today, it's the fact that we don't give ourselves enough time for discerning thought. No discernment discernment happens. And um, it's sort of like we've got these bread and circuses to keep us away from actually thinking about things deeply because and, – and look – are there these nefarious forces out there? Is it, you know, the big fossil fuel companies? Is it, I don't know, Bill Gates? I'm going to say no. Um, but, you know, are there these forces out there that are all kind of cooperating to kind of keep us from looking at the big issues and solving the climate crisis or, you know, solving the polarisation that's happening in, in democracy and, you know, <sighs> Could it be that there's a force out there? I think it's sort of the big missing piece, isn't it? You know, that's keeping kids from, I don't know, doing what's good for them and focusing and 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 expanding their brains rather than, you know, kind of smattering their brains to pieces on 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 these these sort of weird sort of deep dives into into TikTok land. Um, I don't know. The only force that I can think of is capitalism, which is this self-perpetuating force that takes us further and further away from collective. Um, you know, so, and it's sort of a, it's like a virus, right? It's it, it doesn't actually have an overarching body. It's just this kind of thing that sort of self-perpetuates. A bit like what AI could potentially be doing. The risks of AI are such that, mm. you know, we build these algorithms, these computer algorithms that essentially we, we lose control of eventually. They become much bigger than ourselves, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's it's really hard to say 
what the issue is and how we could stop it. And the only thing that we can go back to in terms of beating these multimedia companies that just go for more and more outrage and sensationalism and these social media sort of platforms that just lock us in to inanity, um, the only thing to do is stop. Walk away. stop. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of any other solution. And it's the same with, you know, I, I used that phrase and I quoted somebody from the New York Times who'd written something about rich parents who were just so caught up in the cycle of getting their kids to to good schools that they line up overnight to get their children into the best prep school, you know. And it's insane because, of course, the same thing's happening here in Australia. I've got all these friends who are like, yep, education should be, you know, um, equal access. It should be just, you know, we should have equal funding for all kids, right? And Australia, of course, has the biggest discrepancy between private and public school funding in the world, mm. right, from the government, which is just insane. Um, but, um, you know, they all buy into it. They're all still sending their kids. They're working their, their asses off to to pay these exorbitant private school fees rather than just stopping and sending them to the public school and going, hey, neighbours, why don't we all send them kids to the public school and make the public school really good mm. with our parental involvement, which is what used to happen when we were kids. Mm. Now, I know it's not as easy as that. There are whole parts of Australia where there aren't enough public schools, but if you had enough outraged parents contacting their local MP... You'd actually create a movement around it. That's it. Mm. Like, you know, so um, just stop you know, because the parents are feeling guilt that they're not been spending enough time with their children. So they spend them yeah, because they're at work all the time to pay these school fees. So then they send them to these schools with exorbitant fees and so on and so forth. Like it's just this ridiculous cycle that we get caught in, uh, caught up in. And, and I really do think it comes down to capitalism, mm. you know, and it's just going to keep going and going and going until enough of us jump off that conveyor belt. Mm. And just stop and walk away and kind of come up with an alternative. Well, you don't have to come up with an alternative because, like, you know, I get caught up, absolutely. But I have done a bunch of things that ensure that I don't get caught too caught up. So I think walking, like not owning a car and walking and riding is so renegade, right? Like you buck the system in so many ways. Um, And, you know... (sighs) Not spending, like I, people say to me, how, how do you be a minimalist? I'm like, I don't go to the shops. I just don't go to the mall. Full stop. Period. Yeah. You can be because a minimalist because you don't buy anything. <laughs> that's it. Like it's so, so easy. So, you know, I just say don't go to the shops. Then you don't get bombarded, bombarded with uh, billboards that try to tell you that you should be doing, doing these things. And, of course, if you go in the mall to buy one thing, you end up coming home with tea light candles and vegetable paring knives and whatever, another <laughs> towel set that you don't need um, because while you're there you might as well buy And they were 20% off. I mean, you yes. know. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, that's right. And it's like if you don't online shop, you don't get sent the ads that everybody complains about. Like I, people say to me, oh, you know, don't you just get sick of all the algorithmic ads? And I'm like, no, nah, because I don't get them because I don't buy things. So I have no kind of algorithmic trail Mm. um so yeah it's 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 freedom and i I just encourage everybody to just try it out just try not going to the shops try to gamify uh living with what you've got right like i'll sort of go right i'm down to four pairs of underpants you know they've all worn out maybe i need to go to the shops to buy underpants and i'll go well 
let's just see if I can go another month, right? <laughs> and and I and 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 it, you, the more you push it out, you know, the less trips to the shops and the less you know buying begets buying kind of stuff. And the overall kind of crap that you end up accumul- accumulating, and then your house just feels like it's going to explode. And in that month, on those weekends where I'm not at the mall, I'm off camping or hiking and doing all the things that that are in fact the antidote to everything we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And you feel like you've got control of your life. When you camp as well and when you hike, often your phone, you you have no internet access. So you'll spend one, two, three days with no, and it just really shifts your brain Mm -hmm. wiring. So -hmm. it all flows into each other when you just take one little sidestep off the conveyor belt. And everything that you've just talked about that then, is actually a story that is looping through our brain. So, you know, it's not just so much about the stories that you encounter in this and the, and the the media that you consume. It's also about what's kind of going on in your brain. And so Mm. if some of the narratives that are in your brain are saying, I need new undies, you know, because they're looking a little shabby and therefore, you know, my brain tells me as a result of the conditioning that I've had, I need to go and get new ones and I'm going to throw out the old ones. Then, Mm it's kind of incumbent on all of us to actually go, well, is that, a, is that a narrative that is helpful in the kind of context of the broader mess that we exist in? Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, going back to the original question that you asked me about, you know, how do we tell the story? How do we, and, you know, I mentioned, um, so the way I work it is we've got a, the new story that we tell has to come across as sexier, more charming than the current one. The way I'd frame I'm sorry, listeners, that we're sticking to this really ridiculous undies story. But no, the way I frame it is, and this is what I do, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can swear, but fuck the system. Yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. And I, and I kind of get this, like I sort of have this, oh, I've got to go to the mall and buy some undies, for example. And then as soon as I realise, no, I don't have to, <laughs> like I can do what I want. There's this charge. Yeah, there's this charge and then I suddenly feel this lightness and then I suddenly go, oh, my God, I don't have to do any of this. I literally don't have to do any of it. And so that it's a story that not only is the more righteous story, it's actually lighter, more fun, more playful, more renegade, Um, all the things that I think we as humans crave to be, you know, um, we crave to be light, we crave to be renegade, we crave to be free, we crave to actually do life in a way that feels really true and playful. You know? And express ourselves too in, 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 in mm. through all of that and through that experience of, of, in, of enjoying those things. I was just thinking last night I, I sang for two and a half hours straight and and honestly, it I mean, like there's a there's I'm sure there's drugs out there that make you happy, but like after two and a half hours, I'm still riding that high from two and a half hours worth of singing. And you know, like any yeah. person in a community choir who kind of comes together to sort of sing and to share story through the medium of music and song yeah, is lovely. like totally kind of gets that idea. Um, mm. But it's like, well, no one's paying me for that time. I'm not needing to pay someone in order to kind of have that experience. And 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 um, and and yet. You know, it was just so, so uplifting and so and so enriching, mm. and so, you know, when I think about There's a some- lovely quote I'm thinking of, and I just I wrote it up um, just recently. Um, it's from I'm just got it in front of me, Annie mm. Dillard, and um, 
Yeah, it's a really great one, actually, that speaks to what you're talking about. Um, she wrote, she's, she, it's about writing, and she wrote that people love pretty much the same things best. A writer, though, and I actually substitute Joel a writer for anyone, you know, a person, though, looking for subjects, asks not after what he loves best, but what he alone loves at all. And she then cites a bunch of writers um, and what their thing was that they were unique in loving and then that became what we know them for in their writing. And I think that's um, for life as well. It is so important to find the time, the space, the opening to work out what it is that you alone love. And it's not you're not going to be completely alone, not when there's 8 billion people on the planet, but you, you know, singing for you right? You need those two hours every week to to know that that is the thing. For me, it's hiking. And I forget, right? I forget. And then I'll get to a really bad uh, fractured place where I'm a mess. And then I go, oh my God, I remember. I know what's missing. I haven't been out into nature. You know? It's just like, ah, and maybe it's for people it's, yeah, it's running or it's cooking or it's whatever it is, but it's that thing that just if you can track along, I reckon for a few days or a week or two and you're like, okay, everything's fine. Then things start breaking down and just, ah, oh, I know exactly the feeling mm. that you're describing. Go back and find the thing that you alone love. But look, mm. you know, one thing I would say is the the tragedy of social media and there's, there's all kinds of problems with it is that it stops us, it distracts us from remembering. That's it for this free edition of the Storymakers Institute. If you'd like to hear the full episode, just head to our website and become a paid subscriber, thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com.